Welcome to Level Up, a podcast for independent artists navigating the Asian music industry. I'm your host, Giselle Cole. I'm a music journalist, the founder of Platform Asian Pop Weekly, and an all-around Mandopop nerd. Join me in taking control of your career as an artist, and I'll show you how to make the most of it. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Podcast. That is right, we are back for our second season and we are so excited about what's to come next. I thought really hard about what I wanted the first segment of this new season to be about. And I guess, I don't know, if you've been following along for long enough, you've realized kind of that um, how things progress, for example, from the first section, which was about branding and positioning, to the second section, which was about social media, and then the third section, which was distribution. I'm kind of trying to structure things in a way where it would make sense for what I believe to be a healthy progression and a healthy progress of learning for independent artists, especially with the focus on the Asian music industry. But then after that, I was thinking, okay, what next? You know, there's so many different ways that we could go. We could go into like management, we could go into PR. These are all topics that we are wanting to go into in the future. But especially because I think there was something that just inspired me somehow. Like when I thought about it, I was like, hey, why don't we do something like that? And that topic was mental health. So I can't remember exactly what inspired me to want to do a topic about mental health. But when I thought about it, I was like, actually, this makes a lot of sense. And it's not really something like the intersection between music and mental health isn't something that I see talked about very often, especially for independent artists who are based in Asia or wanting to navigate the Asian music industry. So not really in that context. And at the same time, I think independent artists, especially during this COVID pandemic, they are really truly a vulnerable population. I have enough friends in that situation to know that they are going through something and I have a lot of respect for them because I think artists, independent artists in themselves, they are entrepreneurs. So they have to rely on themselves for a lot of things and in those early stages of like ramp up, they don't have a lot to work with. They are constantly bootstrapping everything they have to be the boss of themselves and potentially even partners that they work with and at the same time there is financial instability there is uncertainty in terms of what is going to happen next there is never a roadmap for what you can do next in order to launch your career these are all things that actually make independent artists very I would say fragile, not fragile, like vulnerable during this time. And it has been a hard period for them all. And so I thought definitely this is something that I want to talk about because before you get too far in your artist journey, I think you should always start by prioritizing your mental health, creating a good foundation on which you can learn to manage your own expectations for yourself and also set boundaries with the people around you because no one in the music industry is going to teach you that. It's honestly, it's not the most healthy place to be in. But I feel like I can't, I can't go on about mental health for like an entire podcast episode by myself because I'm not, first of all, I'm not a licensed like mental health professional in any way. And second of all, I honestly, I, I feel like I'm on this on this learning journey as well. So I, I want to learn from someone who I feel has the right qualifications and has that very specific approach that is really going to benefit independent artists. And then I found Shapes and Sounds. So Shapes and Sounds is a platform created to provide mental health resources, especially for people who are of Asian Australian heritage. But in general, I feel like a lot of the resources that they provide on the website can actually be used for people who are just part of the Asian diaspora or just Asian in general. Because I feel like being based here in Singapore, there aren't that many resources or there is still a very big stigma around talking about mental health. Shapes and Sounds is created by Asami, a first-generation immigrant from Japan who has felt firsthand how mental health works differently for people of Asian heritage and especially those living in Western countries such as Australia. 
We are absolutely honored to be able to have her on the podcast to impart her knowledge about mental health and how it works differently for people of Asian heritage. But even more so, I find it a giant honor to have her explain to us and go deep with us on the lives of independent musicians and the specific help that they might need and the specific advice she could give to them based on their lifestyles and the challenges that they may face and sustain themselves on this journey as independent artists. So without further ado, let's go straight into our interview. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and I've actually been following like all the amazing things that Shapes and Sounds have been doing for like quite a while now. Um, are you able to introduce yourself and share a little bit about how Shapes and Sounds was created? Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for having me. Um, My I'm very excited to be here. I'm dialing in from Melbourne um, and that is um, Wurundjeri land here in Australia, in so-called Australia. So I always like to start any conversations about mental health, like talking about um, the land that we're on. It's really good to contextualise conversations. So we'll just start there. So to tell you a bit about me and how Shapes and Sounds came about, so I moved to Australia when I was four years old from Japan mm-hmm. um, and my parents moved to Australia in search of like a really free and relaxed and like so-called Aussie lifestyle. What that looked like for me was that they raised me in a very, very kind of like Western manner and like all of my privileges at the time were probably coming from the fact that I was very, very Westernized in everything Mm -hmm. that I did. And I had a lot of internalized racism and that like it was always presenting itself but I never really understood what was going on until much later in my life when I started Mm -hmm. to study mental health um and just as I kind of matured into an adult as well Mm -hmm. um many many years later after like doing a lot of different things um two things happened that really helped me to start Shapes and Sounds so Shapes and Sounds was born in October 2019 and it came about as a blog to start with. And the reason why I started Shapes and Sounds is for two reasons. So there's a formal reason and an informal. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you both of those reasons. Sure. But the formal, like the, the answer that I always give everyone is that um, for five years prior to that, I was working in the acute youth mental health, like crisis and community services as a mm-hmm. music therapist. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I witnessed a lot of young Asian Australians or young people of colour, I should say, Mm -hmm. kind of slipping through the cracks in our service delivery. And every time this was raised, like what's going on, why are these kids not getting the same care as maybe white kids? Mm -hmm. Um, The answer and the solution offered by organisations, not just our organisation, but across the mental health sector, across the public mental health sector, was that we should increase the number of interpreters and translators Mm -hmm. in our mental mental health service delivery. But the issue was that I was meeting people like myself, like people who had grown up in Australia who spoke Mm -hmm. English. Like language is not the barrier to engaging in mental health services. Mm -hmm. The barrier is the lack of culturally responsive practice Mm -hmm. and the lack of understanding about the ways in which culture impacts people's mental health the way in which culture impacts um, the language that you use to express distress your help-seeking behaviors the way you engage in very very western models of psychology Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and because of that I burnt out it was really confronting Um, and I, I, I turned to the internet I turned to a blog and I just started like writing about all of this And all of these things kind of fueled me to start Shapes and Sounds. First, it was a blog, just me writing. But thanks to the internet, it picked up a lot of traction. A lot of people contacted me saying that they'd had similar experiences, that they wanted to know more. And I was very lucky enough to meet Vianne, who is an organizational psychologist. And together, we really structured Shapes and Sounds into what it is today, which is Mm -hmm. I would describe it as a resource hub. We have a lot of information about Asian Australian mental health. And it's also a community where Asian Australians gather and meet and talk to one another, talk about their experiences and feel really validated and seen in their Asian Australian identities, which I think is weird that we haven't had this before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think 
as as you mentioned, like a lot of people, especially um, if you if you're an Asian Australian born in Australia or in I guess any Western country, it's I think it's like it's not the first time I've heard about that internalized racism or wanting mm-hmm. to be white and kind of like rejecting your heritage because it's all part and parcel of like growing up and like in schools and stuff like that. You're not like the society doesn't actually encourage you to be proud of your heritage. So I think it's like, that's probably why from my perspective that um, like this issue and like this intersection hasn't really come up, especially in the space of mental health. But I Mm. honestly think like you're doing some really, really great work. It's really unique. And um, even, even though it's um, meant specifically for Asian Australians, I actually feel like it's very, very useful for just members of the diaspora and even Asian like just people in Asia, because um, being based in Asia right now, I I do see a lack of awareness and understanding of mental health, and also like how you can, um, how how to ask like educated questions, how to get the resources you need, even no matter if it's in like a professional working environment or just in general. I think the conversation here is still um at like it's not at a very high level. So I think what you're doing is really awesome for all those reasons. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad that you found us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm shout out to Vivian. (laughs) Yeah. I always, I always see them sharing about your stuff and I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. But yeah. Anyway. (laughs) um, Yes. So I understand that you're a music therapist. Um, Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that vein of therapy entails? And of course, like what the, relationship between like psychology and music is because I'm just really excited really interested to know more about that Mm. yeah music therapy is um it's actually a relatively new profession I would Mm -hmm. say it kind of um emerged post-war so like post-world war ii in the states in the uk um on hospital wards of soldiers coming back from war Mm -hmm. and they had it at what at the time it was described as shell shock, but what we know now as PTSD. Mm-hmm. And essentially like a lot of patients were kind of comatose or they didn't respond to health professionals. They didn't like want to talk. They were just like numb and dead, mm-hmm. like dead as in kind of emotionally not yeah. there um, based on the experiences that they'd witnessed in war. And the doctors were, what they noticed was that when the volunteer musicians would come in and play music, as you know, as is common in hospital wards, mm-hmm. um, that's when the patients would start to kind of either come back to life, they would talk, they would cry, they would, you know, like something would happen, some yeah. emotional release some would happen. Some response. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it, the profession itself kind of emerged there. It started off like sort of in the medical model, um, people noticing the effect that music had on people recovering from PTSD. And now it's really progressed into like this this profession that sees people. So music therapy is exactly what it sounds like. We use music in a therapeutic context to help Mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. And we're an allied health profession. So in Australia, we sit alongside like speech speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, social work, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we span the whole age range so you will find music therapists in the neonatal unit at the children's hospital all the way into aged care and palliative care Mm -hmm. and everywhere in between as well Mm -hmm. so there's only like apparently a thousand or so music therapists or maybe like less than that in Australia Mm -hmm. so we're all spread across different sectors and I've always been interested in working in mental health and especially youth mental health because um, I think Music is very, very important when you're a young person. Of course, you know? yeah. Like, even into adulthood too. But don't you think yeah. like as a young yeah. person, we use music in this yes. tribal yes. manner? Yeah. Yes, we kind of use it in like a almost prescriptive manner sometimes. Well, for me anyway, like when I was a teenager. And that's that's how I started Asian Pop Weekly as well. Like I was so influenced by music and I felt isolated basically being in Australia and not really being able to get access to Asian music that I started mm-hmm. to like create this website, created this whole platform around it to create a community. And yeah, I, I can just, when, looking back on the way that I 
I viewed music, I I think it's very different to the way that I I, I interact with it now. It was really mm. like I relied on it a lot. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, almost almost tribal. And you know how they say that um when you're like your music taste like stagnate by the time you're 12 or something like like it's that's the period like the most memorable period for you in terms of like um creating and like um solidifying your music taste or like at least somewhere mm. during those teenage years so definitely um I think it's yeah. really really important um and of course like young people have it hard too you know in schools and stuff like that um yep. figuring out who they are yeah Exactly. Mm -hmm. Music is like the thing that helps us understand the world a lot too. Like we learn a lot about like love and relationships and heartbreak through music in our teens, right? Exactly. It's like it's like our friend, it's our and then we're like one week we're like hip hop and then the (laughs) next week we change all our clothes because we're more into like um, I don't know, like anything, like yeah. pop music. Or- yeah, 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 yeah. We just follow yeah. the trends. We follow what music tells us to do. We're very reactive. Mm. We're, I think we're very reactive to music during that that time period. And those who are yeah. into it are really, really into it. Yeah. And that's how yeah. like idol culture comes about, like fan culture, all that, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And what's really interesting is like, um, because we don't, have so much reliance on things like religion and we're not tribal communities anymore mm-hmm. but we're still human beings mm-hmm. that's that's actually we use music to fulfill those needs as human beings like to help us shape oh who am I like where is the edge of my identity um and I like hip-hop so I'm not going to hang out with like the goth friends or like <laughs> maybe like emo you can see how yeah. old I am <laughs> yeah but um yeah, it's really interesting, right? That it we is. It use is music as a resource yeah. to help us. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know that um, in in Asia, I uh, especially like in Singapore, where I am, I still feel it's a little bit more um, religious in terms of like the different communities we have here. It's not as secular mm. as Australia, but across the board, like as, especially for me in my own experience, I know some people are gonna like kill me for saying this, but yes, music is really, in a sense, like it. like my religion like I I I prescribe to it I I do certain rituals every day um that's yeah like I have built this very very strong intense relationship with it and that was especially especially happening like in my teenage years so it's really interesting that you drew that um that relationship because I never really thought about it that way before like the the Mm. relationship between us being more of like a secular society and um our relationship with music or I'm sure like any other like creative art form yeah and I just want to add like um as music therapists like music Mm -hmm. now we always think about what is the purpose of music how is music used as a resource to promote health for this person that's like Mm -hmm. one of the Mm -hmm. big questions we ask so what I mean by that is like right now music you know, like a lot of us use music for entertainment, for distraction. Yeah. It's like a product, right? Like a commercial mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. that we engage with. But actually music is one of those things that has been present in all cultures across the world for all time. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of music has long been to help communities of people come together in times when words aren't quite enough. So that's yeah. why there's always music at weddings, funerals, like in preparation for war, mm-hmm. like propaganda music, there's mm-hmm. always music present to help groups of people come together. And that's like a really trauma-informed approach to using music in therapy because often when you experience trauma, your language centres turn off. So mm-hmm. you can't actually talk about your trauma because that part of your right. brain is actually shut down. Right. But when you engage in that creative expression of music, that's when like, different parts of your brain light up or Mm -hmm. you may find that you're able to express what you want to say but it's not through like verbal conversation Mm -hmm. so it kind of links back to why music therapy originated Mm -hmm. and also like this is the kind of work that I've been doing in crisis work and young people experiencing like a lot of trauma they don't want to talk to a psychologist but they'll say things like just listen to this song and it explains exactly what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. and then from there a conversation begins so mm. it's really interesting in, in the use of trauma-informed therapy. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, 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 that was actually going to lead me to my next question, because I know that you've done a lot of great work in tailoring mental health wellness programs to um, mm-hmm. Asian audiences, and also probably like a more creative audience. So I wanted to ask, yeah. like, since I guess since 2019, when you started Shapes and Sounds, have there been any like interesting insights or discoveries that you've made um, in this like very unique position you're in? Yeah, it's been so interesting. Mm-hmm. So firstly, I've learned a lot about um, like how many Asians there are in Australia. <laughs> and there's actually like 16% of the population. That's on par with the African-American population in the States. Like wow. we make up a large portion of Australia. Mm-hmm. However, we're really missing in media, senior leadership, politics, like kind of everywhere, you know, we're yeah. sort of invisible in our experiences. Mm-hmm. Yes, media representation is increasing, but for many of us, we've felt like very invisible and we've also felt really alone as Asian Australians. Like I'm the only one that has this like dual identity. I'm the only one that has internalised racism and everything has been very silent. It's been like maybe that's also an Asian thing that we deal with things quietly and silently, mm-hmm. but we haven't had opportunities to like talk openly and externalize a lot of that stress that's been sitting in our bodies. So that's been really interesting to see. So some stats, we make up 16% of the Australian population. Out of the people accessing mental health services in Australia, only 2 to 3% of those are Asian. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then when you get into your involuntary and acute care, then we become a bit more representative of the general population. So it means that there is a huge gap of people that aren't getting the support that they need and they're struggling in silence. And we're just like perseverance. In Japanese, we call it like gamang and gambaru, which mm. means like just deal with it and just keep going. <laughs> and I right. think many people are doing that. So that's been one thing that we've really noticed amongst um, our audience is that people just persevere. And grit mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. I think the sense of perfectionism and overachievement is huge as well. Um, like this need that when that we always need to do more, that we need to like prove our worth, that we have to be grateful for every scrap of anything that we get thrown our way. Yeah. Um, and another thing is the huge presence of trauma in the lives of Asian Australians. And that's like racialized trauma from being Asian in Australia and also intergenerational trauma. You know, like our grandparents were alive during the war or many of our grandparents were around during the war, World War II, and then, you know, they didn't have resources to to kind of deal from that experience. They just, like, got on with their lives. Mm -hmm. And then our parents grew up with those parents and then then it's in us now, right? Yeah. And as our generation and the younger generation, we now have the freedom and the flexibility to kind of look inwards a little. And the moment you sort of look inwards, that's when it all starts to burst yeah. out as well. Yeah. <laughs> like a like a can of worms. <laughs> exactly. The yeah. worms have been released, I would say. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many interesting insights and I definitely relate to a lot of them as well. I I think all of the things that you said, I think they really, it it really reinforces the link between culture and mental health because all those things you stated, they're all, they all stem from like Confucianism. I guess it really solidifies why we, we need people like you guys to um, show us that um, there's like, it, it is not normal to, be walking around with all this like internalized racism or like guilt or trauma trauma inside of you and uh yeah I think it's really great that you guys provide a space to talk about that oh thank you <laughs> yeah it's so complex and I think for diaspora like we live like with a bit of a bit of everything as well yeah and then we have a lot of biracial um audience members or like participants in Shapes and Sounds. We have a Mm -hmm. lot of people from, you know, South Asian backgrounds who often get erased in the so-called Asian-Australian conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, We have people from, like, Japan who have, like, very complicated history within that of, like, Japanese people feel like they're not Asian as well. And and then, you know, we have 
so between our countries as well, there's been so much conflict between countries in so-called the huge continent of Asia that it's really important that we have very nuanced conversations that that incorporates like diverse perspectives and diverse experiences because there is no like one Asian experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's I think that's a very hard thing to do and like a very noble thing you're doing as well because as you mentioned there's not that many practitioners out there who are really focusing on our story and within Asia there's so many different experiences so I think that's really yeah. really amazing like for me like in all of my different roles I've always um, had a soft spot for indie artists and I know you have as well um, and I, I have worked with a lot of them and I know the struggles that they're going through especially due to the pandemic and if they are Asian diaspora artists again I think definitely they are feeling that pressure from the that maybe their loved ones around them because I know I feel mm. that all the time so I wanted to maybe uh, throw out a couple of like points that I feel that they might be um, that might be causing them like stress at this time and maybe mm-hmm. you could give like some quick responses or like quick advice on like how they could um how they could take take steps towards um doing better things for themselves in all of these aspects if you're okay with that okay awesome yes. okay well I think the first one that I want to talk about which you already did talk a little bit about is like financial mm-hmm. stress because um, yep. artists during this time they don't have income as everyone knows it's really really mm-hmm. hard especially since the digital space can provide some monetization but at the same time I think that is still something that's very new and growing so unless you're an artist with scale it is very hard to make money that way yeah, mm-hmm. of, of course, that's a, a, a point of stress. So don't blame yourself for that. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I hear this a lot amongst creatives, like about, oh, you know, it's not for the money. I don't do it for the money. Um, it's not important to me, which I think is very, very good. And, of course, it's not just about the fame and the money and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think um, being really clear with your budgeting how much do you need to survive as a human being in this world? Yes. Being so clear with your budgeting, work out how your money is coming in and out um, and get really, really good with your Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, I think that's so important. That's going to mm-hmm. help your mental health so much. Yes. You can just get on top of your finances, right? Yeah, exactly. Actually, that is, I mean, I kind, I guess that kind of goes a little bit into like the finance side of things, but definitely that is such good advice um, for, for creatives because I think sometimes they get, um, they get very set in that mindset of like, um, I'm a creative, I need other people to help me with all these other things because I don't know how to do them. I only know how to create. Um, but mm-hmm. as artists, like that's something that I always want to, point out on this podcast like if you are an independent artist you are effectively a business and businesses at the very least need to know how to sustain themselves even if you're not going to be making a profit even though you don't care about money you are still a business and this is your main source of income for 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 many independent artists so Yeah. yeah I think I think being very clear about um what like what you need to survive is going to be very, very important in order to sustain your career because you can't sustain your career if you're not really like focusing on your needs, like just fulfilling Mm. your basic needs. And definitely that's going to cause you some stress. And yeah, yeah. 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 It was great that you brought that up. And then the second one that I kind of wanted to talk about was self-reliance because um, I do feel that independent artists, they don't get a lot of support because um, effectively, sometimes they don't even have a team if they're at those Mm -hmm. earlier stages and they're um, really like working in startup mode, like just trying to figure everything out themselves, not necessarily just in terms of mental health, but just in terms of like figuring out all the different areas of the music industry. So like publishing, understanding distribution, understanding how touring Mm. works, like trying to figure out who can help me to make this happen because there is no set rule book on how the music industry works. And I know that does cause a lot of stress and trauma for um, artists. So I wanted to Mm. know how, how they could really, um, how they could really, do better in terms of their mental health when when the stress is coming from like a self-reliance yeah self-reliance is such an interesting topic I myself Mm -hmm. am one of those people that like 
does way too many things and like doesn't yeah. let anyone in. Um, Same. <laughs> don't we all, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's been so beneficial for me, which may help others, is to take a moment and explore why you are like this, you know, like, why am I like this? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like, why is it like a lack of trust in people? Is it a perfectionist thing? Is it like, um, you know, feeling like for many people, and I think many artists and creatives, like maybe no one has really understood them and no one has really valued them. So then over time you start to learn that, oh, I'm the only one that can support me. So therefore I will do everything myself. Mm-hmm. And I think just exploring that, helps you to see like maybe some stuff that's going on for you in terms of like a resistance to help as well. Sometimes there are resources available, but it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't trust it. I don't want that. You know, I don't trust this person. What are they trying to get out of me? And so, yeah, take a moment to explore why you like, you know, like, of course there are many things you will have to do alone, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. especially in the early days, but um connection and groups and teamwork and support are so invaluable <laughs> and yeah. I laugh because I'm like the, probably the worst person <laughs> in the world at this you're like a <laughs> two-person so team and I'm learning <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think that's really really good advice because one, once you mentioned that like it it is very true actually that even though okay there are no there are not too many resources which are accessible for artists which are like Asian Asian artists or about maybe the Asian music industry but I know there are a lot of resources just for independent artists in general um, if only you put in a little effort to look so I think really sometimes it does come from being that mindset and again for me it comes to the topic of like some artists feeling that they need to have they need to have this before they can um before they can like level up their careers and Mm. until that point they're like oh I'm just gonna stay self-reliant there are also different ways of um, creating a support group for yourself other than um, getting a manager getting a team getting a label to help you it's just Mm. I guess whether you are really like looking uh, looking deep into yourself and putting in that effort. So I think that was a really, really good point that you just brought up there as well. The third one was, I think, mm-hmm. something that we can all relate to, which is like um, having boundaries between your work and your personal life. And I feel like, oh, yeah, um, yeah for, for artists, I think this is something that's really close to home because a lot of them like work out of their bedrooms, especially if they're young artists or like mm-hmm. they're in the same house all the time. Um, so yeah, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on how they could kind of combat this lack of boundaries between their work and their personal life because also as artists you are public figures um it can seem like you're personally attacked sometimes when criticism or or comments are given so I Mm. think it is amplified in the context of um indie artists definitely hey like you are your art yeah but at the same time you're also not your art right like there are parts of you that are not your art too and It's so blurry and I, again, I'm probably like not a great example of someone that has strong boundaries between work (laughs) and life. Um, It's all intertwined. But I think really tangibly there comes a point where you have to not check your emails. There comes a point when you have to turn off your phone, Mm -hmm. um, have two social media accounts, you know, like really tangible things just to to step away. But Mm -hmm. also at the same time it's really... um, understanding that self-worth that okay I'm so intertwined with my art and my music but I'm also like like worthy just as I am so if the music stops if no one likes my music like I'm still I'm still okay (laughs) you know yeah I'm I'm still a human yeah with human needs um and working on that self-worth kind of conversation is so important but so difficult and I you know it like I'm working through it all the time like yes how do I detach myself how do I um, untangle my self-worth from the success or the not success of of campaigns or marketing campaigns and mm-hmm. it's really difficult but I think that that is so important that we have to do for sustainability 
Yeah, exactly. And I think you really um, hit the nail on the head. And especially, I'm sure you have a lot of like relevant experience because I'm guessing that Shapes and Sounds, like it's still like a small, it's a small team. What you're doing, a lot of it is basically like running a small business, which is what artists are doing. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really good advice. I, I I also like, it was nice how you um, kind of made the the um, separation between tangible ways that you can set those boundaries and then I guess the bigger picture like the longer game which is working on your own boundaries and like um, talking about your self-worth because for me I find that even setting those tangible boundaries are really really helpful for me because sometimes my brain I cannot I can't control what my brain is going to think or whether it's going to be thinking about work. But at the very least, having those like boundaries, like maybe putting your phone at the other corner of the room (laughs) or like shutting it down, shutting your work phone down at night, like tangible boundaries are very, very necessary. And then you can, and then I feel like it also helps me to um, work on the intangible things that are like, I guess your demons or like those challenges with boundaries that are really stemming from your self-worth and your relationship Mm. with your work. So yes, at least that's the first step, right? Like putting in place those um, tangible rules. Okay. The next one I want to talk about, I guess it's more, um, it's more linked to Asian artists because Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that we talked about just now, which is like an inability to talk about mental health openly. And I think this is not so much of an issue in like with Western artists, because I do see um, a lot of them increasingly becoming advocates for mental health and things like that. But for me, like being based in Asia, I still feel that um, the conversation here um, is not, it's not as open when when it comes Mm. to mental health. I think that when it comes to talking about mental health, I think it's really important for us to remember that um, you have control in who you choose to hear your story and not everyone has the right and not everyone has the privilege to hear your story as well. So mm-hmm. you can be incredibly discerning about who your audience is and that's often a really key indicator of success for how supported you feel in your mental health. And we already know in the back of our head, like people in our family, our friends, who probably won't listen, who'll probably give us really crappy advice, <laughs> will probably be like, oh, just do this. Why don't you do this? Why are you yeah. so lazy? <laughs> right? Yes, And exactly. then it's like, you don't need to talk to, about your mental health with those people. Yes. And if you don't have people in your life that you feel like they'll probably let me have my own experiences and they'll probably let me express myself in the way I want to. If those people aren't available to you, that's when you can start to think about going to therapy, not because you're in some kind of crisis mode, but just somewhere where you can practice talking about your mental health um, mm-hmm. and how you're going. And places like Shapes and Sounds, like come and join us at Shapes and Sounds because this is where we have conversations, like, you know, like obviously free conversations on our Instagram, but we also have a membership model where people come and we talk about our mental health in this kind of intersection of culture and mental health. And um, it's a space where people are really new to the conversation as well. So so our role as therapists is to guide you in helping you talk about your mental health. And we have lots of free resources. We've got a program called um, Talking Mental Health with Your Family as well, which literally gives you a step-by-step outline of how to have conversations about your mental health because you're so right. It's not common and it's it's very important to acknowledge that it's not an easy thing to do. We might see a lot of people talking openly in the media about their mental health, but actually um, it can be very triggering. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can be very triggering if you're not supported as you express yourself. Even like if you're talking about stuff on social media, your audience members can get really triggered by by things that you're saying too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like be really gentle with yourself and seek out support. Um, and there are there are resources that tell you how to talk about your mental health too. 
Yeah, I think it is as as you meant. I think you mentioned two like really important points. The first one being that um, you know you know which other people you should be talking to about your mental health and which you shouldn't. And sometimes <laughs> you just choose to talk to those people anyway. And that's like another that's like a whole another thing. But I feel like it's kind yeah. of self destructive behavior, which I do sometimes as well. Um, but then the second thing was kind of that. Um, yeah, I guess I guess. Um, it's important to be discerning about the people you talk about it to. Um, and mm. it doesn't always have to be an open conversation like with fans or something like that. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. very important, um, uh, an important point that artists need to take note of because um, talking openly about it, it can happen in many different settings. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last one is um, mm-hmm. that sometimes as I mentioned before, artists might have experience of being in like certain traumatic circumstances. And I think, um, I think it happens a lot in the music industry because the barriers to entry are not high here in terms of like education level, in terms of qualification. Um, and mm-hmm. also because the fact that um, what your craft is tied so closely to you as a person and the lack of boundaries that um, causes, especially for people working in the music industry. Um, I think that all kind of leads to like an increased, um, like an increased rate of exploitation and potentially Mm. even like sexual harassment and even like rape. And I know there's a big conversation in the Australian music industry um, happening about this sexual harassment within um, the record within Australian record labels that are happening towards Mm. women at the moment. So, yeah, I wanted to know um, how you would best advise artists to Mm. um, start this conversation. Yeah, I think definitely like you're not alone and don't do it alone. There's no need to push through trauma that supports are available. And yes, they they cost time and they cost money, but um, there's nothing more important than than feeling safe and taking care of yourself. So if you have experienced something, like it is a bit of a journey to find supports, but but definitely do it. Reach out for support. You don't have to do it alone. Um, thank you so much for answering all the like rapid fire <laughs> questions. I see a lot of artists, especially in Asia, like they don't see any other option other than going to like a label or something like that. They don't necessarily have the right um, mindset to continue as an independent artist which is why they're like I want to get out of this situation as soon as possible this is not the most ideal situation for me but I feel like Mm. a lot of that comes from the mindset that they have not only the fact that okay maybe they don't have certain resources they don't have access to um, like certain things or they need like very specific support that only a label can provide I guess that's definitely a thing as well but I also think people confuse that with um the mental health side of things like maybe they're getting into their own heads maybe they don't realize that I mean it's really about a mindset change that um Mm. needs to happen in order for them to really make good decisions about um about about their career and that's really what the level up podcast is about like I think we talk a lot about how not not about specific resources that oh you go and do this go and read this or whatever it's really more about asking questions to help you change your mindset and your perspective about Mm. being an independent artist so that you can really when those big decisions come you can be in like a really really good position to make it and that's why I think mental health is a really really important conversation to have because I think it's a really really big part of it yeah, that's so true, hey? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I I also think that um artists are really in they're in a really amazing place because um if if they do have the right mindsets about mental health, they have a community, they have like a voice to raise mm-hmm. these questions and topics um in a way that makes people like sit up and listen. So I mm-hmm. was wondering if you had any um advice on like okay if they were to um talk about it in maybe more public spaces like um are there is there any advice you have about how they can like create like genuine and like productive conversations around this topic yeah great question and I don't know what you think about my answer but Mm -hmm. I feel like with artists especially now like we ask 
so much of our artists, right? Like yes. we want them to make music that sounds good and that music also has to be meaningful and it has to be related to like a traumatic experience in their life <laughs> and they have to have a social justice cause now yeah. and they have to like wear ethical clothes and like, yeah. like every they have to do everything and, and then they have their Instagram so they have to like look amazing and have a beautiful aesthetic as well. And sometimes I think like, Yes, people have a network and a, and a platform that they can talk about mental health mm-hmm. and raise causes and raise issues, but actually, like, maybe that's more like this area, this arena that you're sitting in, which you're doing right now, having these conversations about mental health um, and kind of like taking that that burden off the shoulder of the artist Mm -hmm. so that the artist can like go and live their best life and just make music you know (laughs) if that makes sense yeah because I think something that's really important is we lead by example people are always watching what we're doing Mm -hmm. rather than like listening to to um the words that we're saying people kind of you know, people learn through watching like they're they're sensing things about you Mm -hmm. so if you as an artist take care of your mental health you write the music that you want to write you um like especially in Melbourne it's like go and live your best summer we've been in lockdown (laughs) for so long yeah go and have like joy in your life again and then through that process you are going to affect so many people you're going to help uplift a whole bunch of people who've been craving live music and missing seeing you on stage Mm -hmm. that um yeah, sometimes I think it's it's more the role of yourself and me mm-hmm. to have these conversations for our artists because they should just like make the music, mm-hmm, <laughs> which mm-hmm. they do. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's actually a really, really like good perspective to have on that. Um, I I think I do agree. Um, in in a certain in majority majority of me agrees, and then sometimes <laughs> yeah. like I feel I mean because sometimes they maybe the artists themselves, they do feel strongly about this particular topic mm. and they want to be vocal about it just because they have that social justice element to their their experiences or something like that. So I think maybe in certain spaces, yes, they can talk about it openly, but of course only if they want to. I don't, mm. I, I, I think it's very, it's very unsustainable to expect every artist to have this social justice focus because then it becomes like a gimmick and if yeah. it's if it's not like authentic then of, of course it's not going to resonate with your audience anyway and as you mentioned like I think you're right it should come from like like the artist taking care of their mental health taking care of their craft um, working mm-hmm. on that and then if it comes through in their music, it'll come through in their music, right? Like yeah. if, if they're like so, they feel so, so strongly about um, this particular cause, it will come through. So that's, I think, mm. I think it's really, I love that you gave that advice. It's like something that was not expected, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I think, okay, I'll give like a tangible answer as well. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you want to talk about things like, you know, mental illness or, Um, difficult things that have happened to you know that if you have a platform a social media platform like it is a privilege like you have a lot of power I should say you have a lot of power um, when you have a platform and that means that that takes like responsibility as well you can't just throw around things like this awful thing happened to me Mm-hmm. Um, because the people that engage in that content will also get triggered by that. It, it's really, but this is like social media, you know, and yeah. also the most shocking thing that you say gives you the best algorithm as well. Like, yeah. or like you know, affects the algorithm the best mm-hmm. and you get the most engagement. Mm-hmm. So being really mindful of that, like not going for shock value when you talk about mental health, because yes, you'll get more engagement, but actually like, are you really promoting and talking about mental health? Or are you making your followers feel more anxious and more stressed? <laughs> yeah. So you can kind of think about that when you share messaging too. Yeah, I think that's also like a really um, good tangible advice because I think artists also have a very complicated relationship with social media. I guess most public figures do. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you should definitely think about that, especially if it's if your message is coming from a good place, which it should. 
yeah if it's yeah if it's not coming from a good place then maybe maybe don't share it yeah I think social media is already um it's already like not just for artists themselves but for any of us using Mm. it um in a in a huge capacity actually it has a very very big impact on our mindset and um on our mental health as well yeah Mm. It was really amazing having this conversation. But just before we go, I wanted to ask, do you have any words of advice for indie indie artists who are like struggling with their mental health at this like present time? Mm -hmm. Definitely find us on our socials, find us on Instagram. That's probably the best place. What we offer is we have a membership group. Well, we've got a lot of free programs and free resources that might help you on your journey to getting you know, psychological support, especially if you're based in Australia or just kind of exploring your identity a little more in relation to your mental health. At the same time, we have a membership group called the Shapes and Sounds Club, which we're kind of rounding up for this year, but we'll relaunch again in March. And that's um, a really soft entry point for people interested in prioritizing their mental health, interested in forming like a culture of caring for your mental health rather than just like, um, you know, engaging with mental health services in times of crisis. But this is like a, a bit of a shift, creating a culture of, of just generally caring for yourself in that way, your mental health. Um, so find us, sign up for our waiting list, justshapesandsounds.com is where you'll find that. Um, and I would say like, you know, don't forget that you are your brand, which means that you like if you're if you burn out and if if you're out then the the beautiful craft and the beautiful music and the art that you make also disappears so even if it means stepping away from making stuff for a while and creating if you need to take care of yourself that's got to be your number one priority (laughs) you know I laugh again because I'm like telling myself it's like a motivational speech for myself as I I do this podcast as you know as is for all of us but I think definitely yeah great advice prioritize yourself more than anything you do what you need it doesn't matter what um you know what your ancestral culture tells you it doesn't matter what the western world tells you it doesn't matter what you yourself have been taught by your parents from school, from the media. At the end of the day, if you look within, if you just like take a moment to ask yourself, what do I need? Then that's then that's the answer. Like we're always like, what are, what are the experts telling me? What is authority telling me that I need to do to improve my mental health? But actually you already know the answer, you know, and mm-hmm. you just need to take a moment to listen and then also trust that cue. Like if you just ask yourself, what do I need right now? you'll hear a little voice. It's like, oh, I need to rest. But then we always override the system. We're like, no, 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 I can't rest. I have to do this. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. Or I'm lazy, so I can't rest. When really, you just need to trust. You just need to trust that. And you don't need an expert to tell you what you already know. Just like look inwards. Awesome. (laughs) Very deep at the end, right? Yeah, super deep. But I mean, like, I think it's very, very good advice um, to trust what you trust yourself because I feel like your body knows it knows you it's just yeah. like you trying to override it sometimes um and maybe like you can't hear it because um maybe you just have too many things on your mind uh or you're trying to actively block it out but definitely great advice so yeah. um of course all of shapes and sounds um links will be down in the show notes below and um, we'll also put some resources down there um, that we found just to help anyone who's listening who needs um some guidance so thank you again asami so much for being part of our podcast your advice has been invaluable everyone go follow her on like just shapes and sounds at instagram i really love your page oh thank you thanks for having me and good luck everyone Send me your music, please. The Level Up podcast is brought to you jointly by Blossoming Bridge Creative and Asian Pop Weekly. Be sure to follow on our socials at Asian Pop Weekly and also check out our website if you're looking for more Mandarin or Asian music content. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, be sure to like, subscribe and follow and we'll see you on the next one.